Welcome to the Burning Hearts Church Podcast. We are so glad that you're joining us this week. The main thought that I want us to get today, you know, it, it comes from the Great Commission. We talk about it a lot. Matthew 28 and, and Jesus, this is the last thing he, he told the disciples before he, he ascended. All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and then the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. And that commission hasn't left us. We as disciples of Jesus are are to transform. We are to disciple nations. And we are to disciple cities. And that's what we're talking about in this series. We want to see our city transformed. We want to see our, our, our city discipled. But what I want to talk about today is that a transformed city requires a transformed church. I'll say that again. A transformed city requires a transformed church. I'm going to go to a scripture and I'm going to read it pretty quickly. This comes from Acts chapter 11. And if you're familiar with the story, this is the the story of Cornelius and and his household and and Peter, how he saw this vision of the sheet coming down. And and you see, you can read that in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter chapter 11 is like the Cliff Notes version of it. Peter is retelling these people that accused him of of being uh, with the Gentiles, which was which was really taboo for for the Jewish culture at that time. It was against their law. So this is Acts chapter 11, verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in, the tr- and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he had seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for a Simon who is called Peter. He will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God saying, so then, even to the Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to life. And this is just an amazing passage of scripture. And an interesting thing that you, you see at the end is, you know, Cornelius's household in, in chapter 10, it talks about he was a man that was respected by the Jewish community, but he was a Gentile. 
And, and Peter goes there, preaches the, the gospel to them. He, get, he gets filled with the Holy Spirit. They start speaking in tongues. And then they get saved and baptized. And this is just a, a little a side note, but God doesn't always fit inside our boxes on how he moves on people. Um, these people got filled with the Holy Spirit before they were baptized, before you might have even called them saved. And I just want, this is just a, a side note for us to be open to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And this is what the, what, what the Lord, what Jesus was doing in this whole passage. He was telling Peter, he was telling the other disciples, be open to what I'm doing. Be open to what I'm doing. This passage captures one of the most pivotal moments in church history. You know, we have, we have the cross. We have, we have Jesus' birth. We have the cross. We have the resurrection, the ascent, ascension. We have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. But this is the next like pivotal moment in church history. God was telling the Jewish believers then that the gospel was for everyone. The gospel was for the Gentiles. And we kind of lose that context because we don't understand how big of a deal, how big of a deal it was for, for um, Peter to associate with the Gentiles. Up until then, the Jewish nation, the Israelites, you know, they were the, the sons and daughters of Abraham. And they were this nation that was set apart. They were, they were meant to be holy. They had all these laws to set them apart from, from all the nations around them. And in, in this encounter, God is saying, okay, I've broken that wall. I've broken that divide. The Gentiles are now part of my family. And you're no longer like a, a, a people group. You are a group of people with one heart and one mind under the Lord Jesus Christ. And that was what he was doing. Everything in their culture and history and then the word of God up until that point told them they were to be separate. But this, this encounter, and it's, it's amazing that God used, G, or God used Peter, you know, the one on whom he, the rock on whom he built the church, the one that stood up that day after Pentecost and, and preached the gospel and thousands believed. He was the one that, that God used to show, no, this is for the Gentiles. And from that moment, it set up everything. It set up what you read in the, book, the rest of the book of Acts with, with Paul and his missionary journeys, which turned the, the known world at that time upside down for the gospel. And I believe that we're in a similar transformative moment in church history. The circumstances of the past two years has caused a shaking, and I believe a waking of the church. Through this time, I've been asking, you know, seeking the Lord. We, you know, probably many of you do this at the beginning of, of the year. Okay, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you saying? And in 2020, this was kind of like at the beginning of, of um, the, all the, the COVID-19 stuff. And I was facing these circumstances in, in my job, in my career at the time before I was a pastor. And I remember him speaking so clearly, I am shaking everything that can be shaken. 
This is in reference to Hebrews 12, 27. And I thought he was speaking to me personally, but, but later on, my eyes were opened. It's like, no, this is a corporate thing. This is a, a worldwide shaking that's occurring. And the shaking is occurring in the church. And it caused everything, every foundation that was not solid, it, it, it melted. Every foundation that was not of the Lord had to be stripped away in that moment because there was so much shaking going on. And in 2021, I started asking the Lord or, or seeing, like, what, what are you doing, God? And, and he, he was speaking about a realignment occurring. I know many of you, myself included, actually realigned, uh, changed your careers last year or changed your workplaces Maybe just changed your job. Many of you were, were uh, transplanted geographically. I don't know how many stories that I've, uh, I've heard of people coming in uh, to the church here, the community here that were, you know, from the West Coast or from wherever, and, and God transplanted them here. And it was this a realignment that was occurring. And early this year, I was seeking the Lord. And it was just, it was honestly, the simplest thing ever. And he said, it's time to build. It's time to build. In Ecclesiastes 3, you know, it says, sometimes there's a time to tear down and there's a time to build. And right now is a time to build. The tearing down, the, the foundations being shaken, the realignment occurred. So now we can build on the, on the new foundation that we have. And it's time for him to build his church, his corporate church. It's time for him to build Burning Hearts Church. And it's time for him to build each one of your lives, to build structures in your lives that are able to receive the Holy Spirit, structures in your life that, that he's able to use to transform the world around you. He's building you. He's building you, and he's building the church. And I want to talk to you today quickly about three transformations we need to make as a church. And many of you know Paul Manwaring. He's a, a father to this house. He's, he spoke into this house early at the beginning. We probably wouldn't be a church without some of the things that he said to us. Um, and, and a few of these, these transformations, I just want to honor him that I received uh, from some of his teaching. The first transition that the church needs to make is a transition from pastoral first to apostolic first. Pastoral first to apostolic first. And it was probably about a month ago or so, we talked about what's commonly called the fivefold ministry in our series on equipping the saints. And so that's in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. These gifts of Christ, they're, they're called the ascension gifts. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, right? In Ephesians 2, 20, he talks about the foundation being laid of the, the apostles and the prophets. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he, he lists, and it's kind of like this ordered list. First apostles, then prophets, then teachers, then, then workers of miracles, etc. And so if, if you're not familiar with this terminolo terminology... When, when talking about apostles, we're not just talking about the 12 disciples that later became apostles. The book of Acts, 
mentions many other apostles or, or men- messengers. You know, that the, the Greek word is apostoloi. It's like messenger. And, and an apostle is, is a sent one. That's what it means. It, so it's one who, who is sent and one who sends simply. And we, we can get caught up in terminology and titles and all that. And that's not what, what I'm trying to get at here. But the mindset of, of, of being sent and sending is what the church needs to get. But in Acts, there are many other apostles mentioned. James, Barnabas, one of the most famous, Saul, who became Paul, Apollos, Timothy and Silvanus, Ephroditus, Andronicus, Junia, who was a woman, and some, a bunch of unnamed apostles as well. And from Scripture, it's clear that the, the biblical structure for church has to have an apostolic function at its lead. And the, the first century church got this, right? They had the, they had the 12 there, and they, they laid the foundations for the church, and, and the gospel, you see, just spread like wildfire throughout um, the area, the, the known world at that time. And a lot of it had to do, there's, there's all these different things that were happening. There, the church was being persecuted, and it was causing them to be scattered, and then the gospel went wherever they were scattered. But over the years, the church has become tamed. And a lot of that has to do with the church history. You know, in the fourth century, um, if you remember Constantine, you know, he was the, the Roman emperor at that time. You know, he became converted to Christianity. And then he made Christianity the official state religion of the Roman Empire. And when he did that, he started to mix in these different, different things that were done in, in the state, all the different um, rituals, buildings, even, you know, up until that time, most of the church was, was, you know, there was the Jewish synagogues, but then the rest of the church was meeting in homes. But he started making these ornate buildings to, to reflect what was happening in the state meetings. And then the church became a political entity instead of an entity that was filled with the Holy Spirit and, and, and concerned with the kingdom of God. And, and people were appointed in the church based on their political, um, their political connections instead of their anointings and callings. And, and that has, you know, I don't have time to unpack all that, but that has pervaded throughout history. And, and in some cases, some places in the body of Christ, we've, been, we've become a ritual-driven church instead of a, a church driven by the, the presence of God and driven by the, the, missional, uh, the mission that we have to make disciples of all nations. And we need to recapture that. We need to recapture the apostolic function of the church, regardless of whatever our titles are. Jesus was the great apostle. He said in John 21, 20, 21, as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And that, and that still echoes to you today. As the Father has sent me, Jesus is saying to us, I am sending you. And each one of you are sent Each one of you are sent to go from this place and see the kingdom of God come, to see people hear the gospel in an impound, to see people hear the gospel in a restaurant, to see people hear the gospel and their lives transformed everywhere you go. So what are some characteristics of an apostolic church? 
Its first concern, its number one concern is raising up and sending out. It doesn't mean that people aren't pastored. It doesn't mean that people aren't taught. It doesn't mean that you come into a safe place to be, to be whole, to be, um, to learn all of those things. That still happens, but that's not the main function. And the main function of an apostolic church is not to protect the, clo- the flock and not let them see any harm. It's actually to, ma- to go out and there might be places of harm that you're going. And that's good because those are the places that need the gospel. The apostolic church gathers for the sake of sending and for the purpose of transforming. So we come into this place, which is amazing. And, and hear me on this. I'm not saying we, we don't gather together. We're not forsaking uh, gathering together in a place like this on Sundays. But we, we gather to the get, together for the purpose of being transformed ourselves, so we can go out and we can transform. An apostolic church is focused on the Father's business, not reacting to what the world is doing. An apostolic church's main concern is hosting the presence of God. In an apostolic church, the supernatural is pursued. Signs and wonders, revelation, healing, miracles, deliverance, and salvations. It is our focus. So that's the first one. Transition from an apostolic ch- or from a pastoral church to an apostolic church. Transition two is church first to kingdom first. So much of the church has been raised in the tradition, the, the ecclesia, the, the big C church, has been taught that church is the centerpiece of the Christian life. First of all, Jesus is the centerpiece of the Christian life. <laughs> And what Jesus did was usher in the kingdom of God. He said to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added onto you. And all these things means a church that is provided for and functioning well. (laughs) I heard this quote from, from Paul, not all of the kingdoms in the church, but all of the churches in the kingdom. You get that? Not all of the kingdoms in the church, but all the churches in the kingdom. So if you pursue the kingdom, the church is a part of that. But it can't be, your, your, your number one goal can't be to build a big church. What does this mean practically? Like I just mentioned, we need to, to um, recapture that missional mindset of the church. We don't exist to have nice meetings. We exist to bring the kingdom. To see families, businesses, schools, cities, and nations transformed. We'll probably cover this a little bit in a couple of weeks, but in Revelation eleven fifteen, in the New King James, it talks about the kingdoms of this world becoming the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ. That is what we exist to do. The, the kingdom that is here now and the kingdom that is growing that will be consummated at the end of time, it is our job to bring that to the world around us. And this is me speaking personally. I can tell you that we, our desire is not for this to be a program-driven church. We are a presence-driven church. We exist to provide a place where the presence of God can transform us, again, so we can transform the world. We have different ministries. We have things that we do. I, I would call them programs, and they're good. 
and they help us meet the needs of the people of, of our church, but it is not what drives us. And if he says, stop doing that thing, cut it off, we will. We are a presence-driven church. We also need to change our mindset about church only existing within this building. Church happens outside. Again, you heard Kylan's testimony. Church happens where you, where you might least expect it. I have a couple questions to pose to you. What if we shut down our Sunday services for a month? What would you do? If that thought scares you, you might need to shift your mindset. If you're, if you're thinking, that'd be great, I'd get my Sundays back, you might need a different kind of mindset shift. <laughs> okay, transition number three. Big church. A transition from big church to big people. Maybe you can look at Acts chapter 2 and the thousands saved there. But other than that, I don't see any megachurches in the Bible. A portion of Christianity has bought into the idea that a big church is a successful church. And, and some of them have watered down the gospel so much to do that that, it, that <laughs> I'm not going to go there. We want people to be saved. And sometimes that means that a lot of people will come into the church. But we'd rather see church, a multiplication factor happen. Churches multiply, multiply churches spread, more churches planted. And we'd, we'd like to see people made whole and empowered to do the work of the ministry. I heard this quote from Bill Johnson that says, Big churches don't change cities, but big people do. God likes to work through a remnant we see this throughout scripture if you think about Nehemiah and Ezra and how you know, they rebuilt the, the temple and the walls. There was this remnant left in Jerusalem led by uh, those different people and, and God used them to rebuild and restore. You think about Daniel and his, his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they were in exile, they were the remnant that God chose to work through to, to see Israelite the, the Israelite um, way of life preserved through exile. God works through a remnant. Gideon, David and his mighty men, all, all these different examples. And I believe what we're doing here at Burning Hearts Church is, is building big people. And some characteristics of big people. Big people are sold out for Jesus. When they face persecution, their sole focus is to see Jesus glorified. They love not their lives even unto death. That's from Revelation 12. They submit to the lordship of Jesus, and their focus is on bringing him his reward. Big people walk in a high level of intimacy with Jesus. They prioritize spending time hearing his voice, worshiping him, reading the word. Big people, and some of you may have, this might have been your first thought, is like, well, big people means big, big uh, egos. But big people walk in humility regardless of the level of their influence. Big people exhibit the fruits of the Spirit found in Galatians 5. In other words, they have character. 
Big people walk in the gifts of the Spirit found in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And big people, we'll probably talk about this next time I share, understand their assignment. It is our goal as leaders to see all of you empowered. We want there to be a culture of freedom instead of a culture of control. And it's crazy. I've had several conversations with people over the last year who have been worried that they might be stepping on our toes by having a ministry or their own missions organization or, or, or like an unofficial life group or, or whatever it might be. And I was like, good, do that. Like, you're, you're, not, you're, not, you're not messing with what we're doing. We want you. That was the whole purpose of, of the last the last series, equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry. Many of you have ministries that are five, like actual 501c3 ministries. Do them. We want to cover you, and we want to empower you, and we want to pray for you. You're not stepping on our toes. We don't want to control what you do. There might be times, you know, many of you have heard teachings on the culture of honor. You know, we will honor you, but if you get out of line, we'll confront you too, and we'll do it lovingly. And we need, all of us need to be able to receive that confrontation and that, that constructive criticism. We are for you. The Burning Hearts leadership are for you. The people sitting next to you in the seats are for you. You are empowered. You are empowered. Go seek the Lord. Find what he has for you to do and then do it. Our measure of success as a church has to be measured by how our city is transformed by the gospel, how many people are transformed, how many, how many areas of society are changed, and not by the number of people sitting in the seats. And as I was reflecting on this, I think we can do a better job. I think he's calling us to do more in our city, more in our region, more in our state. Let's go back to where we started today for a minute. A transformed city requires a transformed church. And a transformed church requires a transformed people. Chris, if you want to come up. We need to change our mindsets about what church is about and, and our role as the church. Like you, the people in this room, you are the church. The people are the church. And we need to be personally transformed. So how do we transform a people? And that's through discipleship. Discipleship is the way that Jesus chose to change the world, to see the kingdom of God come to earth. He chose 12 people and more to pour his life into. I was just doing some research. It was this really academic paper I had to read for a class I was taking. And they were talking about Eastern culture and what discipleship was in Eastern culture. And it, it gets so watered down in our thinking of it because we don't have anything that represents it very well. But discipleship, when there was a, a you know, the teacher or the master, uh, that relationship between the, the teacher and the student, 
It was more than the student just receiving instruction, receiving information, because that's what our school systems model for us. Okay, receive this information, regurgitate it back to us so we know that you learned it and then move on. That's not what discipleship is about. Discipleship, the whole goal of discipleship is to actually reproduce oneself in the learner. It's to reproduce the person you're discipling, reproduce yourself in them. Paul wrote to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 11, be imitators of me just as I imitate Christ. And that's a scary thought sometimes because we need to be people that are worth imitating. And here at church, people are discipled in many ways. We have, we have ministries that disciple. We have a discipleship school. We have life groups. We have all these other things. And you can probably read a hundred books on the next new model for discipleship. And they're probably good if you don't know where to start. But the perfect model of discipleship is Jesus. He formed relationships with people. He allowed them to see into his life, interact with him. He taught them and he cared for them. That was it. That was Jesus's model. And he's telling us, go and do the same. A transformed city requires a transformed church. A transformed church requires a transformed people. And people are transformed through discipleship. I want to pray. If everyone would stand up. Thank you, Jesus. We have some some different ministry things, some words of knowledge that we want to pray over. But before we do that, I just want to pray generally over a few things. Come Holy Spirit. First thing I want to pray for, it, it came out during worship, is, is this desire, this... <sighs> when we're, we're singing about come Holy Spirit. And I think there are some people in this room that want to encounter the Holy Spirit in greater measure and maybe haven't even experienced what, what people might call manifestations of the Spirit, feel, you know, feeling the presence of God, maybe feeling heat in your body, you know, being, being overwhelmed with joy or overwhelmed with tears or all, any, any of those things. The Holy Spirit wants to encounter you today. And so if you want more of the Holy Spirit, if you want to be filled to overflowing, like we were singing about earlier today, I want to pray over that right now. And if that's you, just as an act of surrender, an act of desire, I want you to raise your hands and start praying more Holy Spirit. Lift your voices to him right now, and then I will pray after. Lift your voices. Let your hunger be known in heaven right now.
Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you that we that are in Christ are joined with you, that we, are, we have union with you. And Father, right now, I pray for a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit in people's lives again and again. It says we are, are to be continually being filled. And so, Father, I pray that you fill those who are empty, those who have poured out, God, who have poured out in their lives for their families, for their, their neighbors, for, for their workplaces. God, I pray for a filling right now in Jesus' name. And I pray for a manifestation of your Holy Spirit in people's lives. I pray for, for the feeling of heat and fire to come through people right now. In Jesus' name, I just release the fire of the Holy Spirit. You said in your word, Jesus, that, that you would baptize people in the Spirit and in fire. And so, Father, right now, I pray for fire to fall in this place. And not for just the feeling, but to know that you are real and to know that you are touching people right now. I pray for the fire of God to fall in Jesus' name. And, Father, I pray joy in this place where joy has been stolen through circumstances, God, I pray a restoration of joy. Restore to people the joy of their salvation. Bring a fresh joy. Lord, for those that came in with a frown, let them go out with laughter and a smile because that is one of the greatest, one of the greatest witnesses of the power of Jesus is joy in all circumstances. So, Father, I pray that you give us joy in all circumstances. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. And, Father, right now I pray over our minds that we would be transformed by the renewing of our minds, God. And that includes our thoughts about who we are as a church, but who we are as individuals. And, Father, I pray that, that any... Anything, any hindrance, any mindset, any wall, anything that we've, any construct, that's the word, any construct in our minds that is hindering you from moving through us, I pray that you tear it down right now in Jesus' name. That you tear it down right now in Jesus' name. And right now you build with righteousness, that you build with joy, that you build with peace, and that you build with the power and a boldness of the Holy Spirit and people's lives. I pray that there'd be a cry of your people that say, here I am, send me. That I am worthy because you are worthy. That I am the righteousness of Christ because of what you did on the cross. And, and anything that I think hinders me from being used by you is, is a lie. So Father, I pray that you break all lies, all constructs in our minds about being used by you. And that you build up Build us up in the most holy faith, in the spirit, and help us to see ourselves the way that you see us. And so, Father, I pray for the transformation of this church and the transformation of each person in here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. 
We hope this message encouraged you today. For more information about Burning Hearts Church and our mission, please head to burningheartsfargo.com. If you are in the Fargo area, we would love for you to join us at one of our Sunday services, either 9 or 1045 a.m. Have a great rest of your week.